Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. They're calling it the Department of Homeland Insecurity. Yeah, nobody who works there is secure in his or her job, that's for sure. With the massive purge underway by henchman Steve Miller for Donald Trump. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go. Tuesday, April 9, it is the Bill Press Show. How about it? Great to see you today. Here we go with another two-hour roundup of the news of the day. Wherever it's happening, we are there with you um, to bring you up to date on the news of the day and to get your comments about the news of the day. Lots to talk about. Boy, this uh, situation with this uh, woman, Chinese-American, I think she was an American citizen, uh, who was uh, nabbed at Mar-a-Lago last weekend while the president was there, it turns out she had a lot more gear, a lot more spy gear uh, than we thought before. What the hell was she doing on the premises? And yes, Donald Trump is in the uh, process of axing uh, everybody who worked with or around uh, Kirsten Nielsen at the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, the latest to fall is the head of the Secret Service. What the hell he has to do with the border? We're not really sure. It's just part of the purge. And rumors are there are uh, three or four more people in top positions at the old Department of Homeland Security before they renamed it the Department of Homeland Security, who are going to fall as well. Uh, and all eyes on Israel and the big election there. Uh, if there is any justice in the world, Bibi Netanyahu will be defeated. Uh, then maybe we can really get around to talking a peaceful solution into the Middle East. It'll never happen as long as Netanyahu is in charge. Lots to talk about. Want to hear from you. Again, as always, your comments on the news at BP Show, at BP Show. We jump right in, but first. This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Quote. 
I am in full acceptance of my guilt and with deep regret and shame over what I have done, I accept full responsibility for my actions and will accept the consequences that, that stem Donald from those Trump? actions. Was that End Donald quote. Trump? No, that was not no. Donald oh, Trump. Oh, oh. Those were the words of actress Felicity Huffman, who made it official. She is going to plead guilty in this whole scandal over getting her kids into college. Remember, it was her and Lori yeah. Laughlin who were the two highest profile uh, people ensnared in this, but it is a big... I mean, the, the whole thing is huge. Mm-hmm. Stemming from mm-hmm. this guy who uh, sort of helped these parents get their kids into college by cheating. Uh, Felicity Huffman just out and out gave an apology, says she'll deal with what other co- whatever consequences come her way. Mm-hmm. Don't know what's going to happen to her. Don't know yeah. if they're going to throw the book at, it, at her. Don't know if they're going to. Well, you know, I think she's standing up and saying, yeah, you know, I'll and, give her that. I'll give her that. I'll right. give her that. Uh, okay, let's go to baseball because, you know, it is baseball season. And, uh, Tell the me ball, about it. The ball, th- I know. Carol's following every every pitch. Matt's lost again uh, yesterday. Well, just up the road away, up in Balmer, uh, the Orioles are not doing so bad. They were expected to have, like, one of the worst records in baseball well, history. Only a week. Yeah, I know, but they, they're doing okay. They're doing good, okay. Good. Well, they have this player, Chris Davis, very, very high-paid player. In fact, he signed a deal in <laughs> 2017, seven years, $161 million. Well, he has made history for the Orioles. In fact, last night, here he is making history. Looks to pitch swing on a hard line drive to left. Grossman comes in. He makes the catch of a sinking liner. All right, so that is Chris Davis not getting a hit. That is the 47th, excuse me, 49th consecutive at bat without a hit. That no. is a record for Major League Baseball. Oh, my baseball. God. He hasn't had a hit since September 14th of last year. What do they pay him? Uh, they pay him $161 million for seven years. Um, they could pay me half of that. Yeah. And I, I could c- do that. And I could do that, not get a hit. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. One more jumps into the presidential race. Let's make it 18 and counting. Uh, And yet, believe it or not, there are still more to come. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live, as always, from our nation's capital. And our studio on Capitol Hill. We are just down the street from the United States Capitol building in the shadow of the Capitol Dome, as we like to say, where we have a good perch here to watch what's going on at the Capitol, what's going on down at the White House. And uh, with uh, the help of uh, TV and radio and online, what's going on around the country and around the globe. And we join you online on the radio and TV as well. Thanks so much for being with us today. We, we appreciate you're making us the first stop of the day. Uh, it's a good place to uh, show up because you'll find out what's going on and you'll have a chance to sound off yourself about the news of the day. So uh, check us out online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And while you're there, sign up for our podcast. Check out the podcast, sign up for it. 
You'll hear from us several times during the day and over the weekends. Check us out on the radio if you're statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and in Chicago and all about Chicago, the great WCPT. There we go, the big progressive voice of Chicago for a long time now, and we've been there from the very beginning. And on television, Free Speech TV, coast to coast. So we are with you nationwide and around the globe. The news of the day, and there is lots of it. You know, I'll tell you, um, sometimes the biggest story of the day or the story that captures my attention is not necessarily the one that everybody else is talking about. This is the story that caught my attention yesterday. We have a crisis in this country. We have a serious, serious growing crisis in this country that you are probably have experienced without even knowing it. So, Peter, let me ask you this. Do you ever go eat fast food? Uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, I, I have. You have. In the past. Have you ever gone I, through the drive-in? I was going to say, I do go through the drive-thru <laughs> sometimes when I, when I need to hit the easy button for the kids. It's rare, but we do it. That is the crisis facing Americans today. Really? Yes. I saw this big report yesterday because the fast food chains have changed. You know, they changed a little bit. Now they offer more things, right? True, yeah. And people are thinking maybe more about eating better. Yeah. And wanting sort of customized things or whatever, uh, the drive time, the wait time in the drive-through <sighs> lanes has increased, and people are really starting to freak out about it. Yes. Uh, now this might actually cure the epidemic of obesity and be. fast food in America. Question, if we have to wait for our food. No. How long are you willing to wait? That's the question. So who has the best drive time? Oh, wow. The best drive time, the, the, the best record for getting in and out of the drive-in. Oh, gosh. What do you think? Uh, you know, I'm just going to take a wild, wild guess, guess here and say McDonald's just because they are sort of the biggest and they are so automated. Nope. No, not McDonald's. Nope. Chick-fil-A, racist Chick-fil-A. Nope. Not Chick-fil-A. Burger King, baby. The Burger King. Burger King's got down three minutes and 13 seconds. Three minutes and 13 Man, seconds. That's a record, alive. right? Yeah. Just right. think about what mm-hmm. they have to do to get uh-huh. you your food in three minutes, minutes and 13. 13 seconds. Right. I, uh, who's got the worst record? Who? McDonald's? Yes. No. McDonald's. They have the worst? Four minutes and 33 seconds. Wow. I would wait four minutes and 33 seconds for a... I wouldn't wait that long. I wouldn't wait for, ninety for seconds fillet? for a McDonald's. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time. But but no they kidding. are the, the whole industry now is having this big, you know, all uh, this uh, this crisis, right? This, uh, this uh, kind of they don't they're trying to reinvent and what what's going to what are they going to do? Because the average wait time, like uh, back in two thousand and three, was three minutes and ten seconds, and now the average wait time is three minutes and 54 seconds. So when we hear Donald Trump talk about the crisis at the border, um, he's really talking about Taco Bell. That's what he's talking (laughs) about. He's talking about that border. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, Chick-fil-A is the second longest. I was going to say- 421. Chick-fil-A is not uh, just above McDonald's. Here's an interesting thing. We don't don't eat at Chick-fil-A. Dunkin' Donuts is second from the best. I believe that. Yeah. There's a, yeah, I believe that. I can see that. I will say this. We don't eat at Chick-fil-A very often. It's once in a blue moon. They got they got bad politics. They do. Uh, yeah. 
But like, I thought they'd gotten better, but they're still giving money to they these are. No, they're, they're, they're crazy not, evangelical yeah. right wing anti gay organizations. Yeah, it's it's not good. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. But I will say, there's a Chick Fil A near my house, and every time I drive by it, the line is crazy long, and it's not. Now you know I why. Mean, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's right. It takes so, them so long to make it. So I would just hope maybe Donald Trump ought to. Um, <laughs> Pay attention to the real crisis in America. It's not the border, right? No, yeah. no, no, that's it. Hey, you and want to put, win votes in America? Fix yeah. that problem. And now, let's see, what agency would this be? This would be, I think, the Department of Agriculture. Sonny sure. Perdue, is that, he's still the... I I think. Who the hell knows, right? I think. Yeah, I think maybe he might be the secretary. Fix so, it. Yeah, fix it. Fix it, damn put it. Put some people in there. Put Steve Miller on that. I mean, right? you know, I just just if we could for a moment. So McDonald's is longest at what? Four minutes? Four minutes and 33 seconds. Four minutes, 33 seconds. Yep. Imagine what they have to do to get you that food even that fast, right? Like that stuff has been sitting around for God knows how long. Yeah. I I would think that this, I have to go back and take a look at it, that this is the time between the time you place your order and you get your food. It's not okay. the time you Waiting get in line. Waiting in line, sure, right. sure, sure. But even then, even then, man, that's fast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but but yeah. people are not happy because they have to wait an entire, <laughs> almost four minutes. Average. The people have spoken. The <laughs> people, people are not happy. The people have spoken, right. <laughs> I want to see a Democratic candidate stand up. You elect me. Maybe this Tim Ryan ought to get on this. This is, you got to find you a lane. You elect me, you've got to find an issue, yeah. right, an issue. I will <laughs> I will speed up <laughs> the drive-through lanes at fast food. Yeah. All right. A Big Mac and a large yeah. fry in every car in <laughs> under 3 minutes. <laughs> under 3 minutes, right. Now, compared to that the purge at the Department of Homeland Security just it's 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 second second place in the news of the day. But it's still a big story. Yeah, it is. We know Kirsten Nielsen. She was forced out as we uh, told I talked yesterday a lot about it. She was forced out Sunday uh, in a meeting with the president where uh, apparently he said he wanted her to go back to uh, ripping kids away from their parents. And she said, that's really not a good policy, and we're just going to get in trouble if we do that again, like we did the last time. He also wanted her to go back to uh, throwing people out of the country, keeping them out of the country uh, if they were seeking asylum, uh, uh, which is against the law of the United States of America. And she said, uh, that's not a good policy either. And so basically Donald Trump said, uh, I accept your resignation. Now give it to me. Uh, and she is out of a job. Kirsten Nielsen, I think, like a fool, was a fool to go to work for Donald Trump, uh, was a fool to um, surrender her better uh, instincts, I guess, and, and willing to do everything that Donald Trump did. I mean, she is the one who carried out the zero tolerance policy policy. She is the one who took kids away from their parents. She is the one who kept kids in cages. And she is the one who defended it. I mean, the worst, the very worst policy uh, affecting immigrants or refugees in this country since we in, uh, locked up Japanese Americans during World War II, which was a total, total disgrace uh, and embarrassment for this country. Uh, Kirsten Nielsen uh, adopted, you know, the worst practices and policies since then. And she defended it um, just a couple of weeks ago as something that, you know, we didn't, we had, 
We had to do. We didn't have any choice, she said. This is what we got to do. We have to do our job. We will not apologize for doing for our job. We have sworn to do this job. Right. Yeah. And even yesterday, after, let's face it, he fired her. Kirsten Nielsen, she's there until tomorrow at the agency. She walked out yesterday of our house. And what did she say? Nothing but kiss, 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 kiss for Donald Trump. Uh, I don't have any new announcements. Uh, I just want to thank the president again for the tremendous opportunity to serve this country. I'm forever grateful and proud of the men and women of DHS who work so hard every day to execute uh, their missions and to protect the homeland. You know, she just looks like a fool by playing that nice card to Donald Trump. I mean, he treated her like crap, right? She did everything he told her to do, but she still didn't think he was tough enough. Uh, And why, the question was, why did he fire her? Well, again, we're told because she was too weak, refused to go along with even tougher policies at the border. Uh, And maybe also because... He was told to fire her by his coach, by one of his coaches. Sean Hannity is one. Uh, Laura Ingram is another. And, of course, Lou Dobbs. And Lou Dobbs gives the president the order. He says, jump. And the president says, how high? Here's Lou Dobbs just a couple of weeks ago, March 28th. So I, I, I agree, Lou, but, but the men and women of Border Patrol, they, they do have this to is take a the guest talking the secretary, to so they do have to get authorization to do what they want to do, and they know then the what president to needs to Here's fire her because she is nothing but a roadblock on creativity, innovation, adaptiveness, and responding to the situation we have instead of the one that she apparently uh, wants to dream about. There it is. Yeah, he's got to fire her. The president should fire her. Those yeah. are the words from Lou Dobbs' mouth. And you know who was watching? And you know what he did. Uh, And now we know and we're learning that it's not just um, uh, Kirsten Nielsen, apparently. Uh, I mean, not apparently. There is a purge underway at the Department of Homeland Security. Um, And it didn't start with her. It started, remember, when uh, Donald Trump fired the head of FEMA, Brock Long, uh, back in February, uh, just a couple of days before he fired uh, Kirsten Nielsen, uh, the new, uh, the man who was, whom he, Donald Trump, had appointed to be the new head of ICE, um, Ron Vitiello, he was up for a confirmation hearing in the Senate uh, before he could even go to the confirmation hearing, before he, he made his first appearance uh, in uh, on Capitol Hill. Donald Trump last Friday yanked his nomination and said, no, you're not going to get the job after all. We want somebody who's going to go in a tougher direction. Tougher is the key word. Uh, then he fires Kirsten Nielsen. Yesterday, he also fired the head of the Secret Service, Tex Ailes. Nobody knows what connection, if any, the Secret Service has to the border. It's just that these are all people who are close to Kirsten Nielsen, uh, part of her leadership team, if you will, at the Department of uh, Homeland Security. Um, It's also reported this morning that the head of the Citizen and Immigration uh, Services Director uh, is going to be, is going to lose her job, and also the general counsel of the uh, Department of Homeland Security is going to lose her job. So this is Steve Miller, who convinced the president, these people at DHS are not your people, they're standing in your way, You've got to get rid of all of them, and that's what they're doing. 
you know, yesterday you had this long list of all the people that Donald Trump oh, yeah. dismissed yeah. in his I mean, uh, little over two years of being president. And it was an exhaustive list. I mean, it's, there's a lot of people on there. Cabinet members, White House counsel, uh, press secretaries, chiefs of staff, you name it. And those I mean, are just the ones that like we read we know. about in the news yeah. yeah, and that we know about. Uh, but you just look at the last 24, 36 hours or so, uh, there, so many more that you can add to that list. And uh, it's very clear what they're trying to do here. They are trying to sort of mold the government and the function of the government into a purely political arm, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The government functions... By the way, at the Fed as well. Absolutely. And the Supreme Court. Absolutely. They, I yeah. mean, they are turning government into a political arm. And so, look, I don't know how Democrats react to that. Should one win the White House in 2020? I don't know if they return it back to some sense of normalcy by having the government be a an independent sort of uh, uh, <laughs> entity that works for everybody, not just Republicans. Uh, but this is, I mean, it's very serious. Yeah. It's very serious. Uh, and and what's happening here, we haven't seen this since uh, the Nixon days of Saturday Night Massacre, what's happening at the Department of Homeland Security. But again, uh, just re- making this point, these are people who did not buck the president. These are people who did everything he asked them to do for in Kirsten Nielsen's uh, case for 16 months. And he fired them anyway because he wants to even crack down even more. Uh, on the border. Uh, by the way, the only thing that's holding him back in certain areas uh, are the courts. And yesterday, in the middle of this, uh, a federal court, a federal judge did rule that the president's policy of forcing people who are seeking asylum to stay in Mexico while their case is being heard rather than in the United States is unconstitutional against the law and the president can't get away with that. I mean, thank God there's somebody uh, standing up for this. And another judge ruled yesterday uh, that the administration's effort to put a sense, um, a citizenship question on the census um, forms, uh, questionnaires, uh, is also unconstitutional and illegal. The census is to find out how many people are here, not to find out how many American citizens are here, and therefore turn those names over to ICE and to the Border Patrol, which is what Donald Trump wants, why he wants that question on the census form. So in two cases yesterday, federal judges ruled against the president, but otherwise he had people at the Department of Homeland Security who were doing, willing to do anything he wanted. This is why this is so scary, what I was talking about, right? Yeah. They're, they're trying to redefine the government, and luckily, thankfully, uh, the courts in, in these cases sort of preserved the integrity of what the government well, is supposed to Well, for a little do. while. But now, you exactly. know, yeah, Mitch McConnell's loading these judges up as fast as he can. They changed the rules last week in the Senate so yep. they can get more right-wing judges on faster. And so you see they're all this whole thing is playing together. How do you fix the problem when the courts keep ruling against you? Yeah. Then mm-hmm. you turn the courts into right. a political arm. Exactly. I'm telling you, it just, uh, you know what? It just underscores the importance of 2020 and getting that madman uh, out of there. Meanwhile, talk about security. (laughs) The worst case of insecurity came right under Donald Trump's nose at Mar-a-Lago, not thanks to the Secret Service who did their job, 
But, you know, the, because Mar-a-Lago, which the president has chosen as his little retreat, because every time he goes, he makes money out of our paying for his travel down there and his stay down there and all the other people and staffers who have to be there with him. So it's a big money-making operation for him. Every weekend he goes to Mar-a-Lago. But it's still a club, and people, they're members of the club. And there's a restaurant, and people go in to the bar, to the restaurant. Uh, in, and they, there's the, so the Secret Service has to make some accommodations to the Mar-a-Lago resort staff who let people in because they know them or they're willing, they want to spend money there. And we found out how what problems that can create uh, last weekend when this Chinese-American woman who was, was nabbed finally by the, 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 she looked a little suspicious and one employee, the employees had let her in, looked a little suspicious. One employee mentioned her to the Secret Service. They checked her out. Well, it turns out, I mean, we still don't know exactly what she was up to or what her intentions were, uh, but it's pretty clear what her intentions might have been by the fact that she now we now know that she had on her nine USB drive, hard drives with um, mal- or malware on them and five SIM cards. No, all right, Peter, you're more of a computer nerd than I. Why would she have all that stuff? Uh, well, uh, maybe she's just... Uh, maybe she's a spy for the Chinese government and she's trying to hack into Mar-a-Lago's system. Uh, that would be a good guess. <laughs> that would be a good guess. Otherwise, why would you carry that stuff around? Yeah, there's no reason to have this stuff. No. There's no reason to have this stuff. And, you know, you you look at what she had. There are really... There, there are very few reasons why you would have this. Right? And... uh I mean, I could to see- disrupt and to cause you know total chaos or you know anything like that. Uh, uh, I said hard drives, they're thumb drives, right? That's what yeah, I meant to like say. Yeah, external hard drives, Ex- uh, thumb drives, right. and, and if you've got this stuff on it, right? This is a classic move. You, there are many different things you could do with one of those things. You if you plug have a it virus into a on computer, it, you plug it in, you get a virus, it corrupts your whole system, shuts right. it down. Right. Even more nefarious than that, you've got things like, you know, keystroke loggers where you can read everything that people are typing under the computer. You've got programs where you can see every file on the computer. From I imagine you could plug that in and then you could download whatever files are on the computer onto that, uh, as many as you could, onto that thumb drive. Right? Yeah, but even and worse. Even nine of them. Yeah, even worse than that, right, which is obviously <laughs> bad. It would be a problem. If you have the thumb drive and you put it in for even just a short period of time and then take it out, you can put some software on there that's hidden that will sort of share everything that happens on that computer with another source somewhere. So it's not even a matter of getting what's on it. It's a matter of getting what's on it and then anything else that will come on it later. So, I mean, it's damaging stuff. Very, very damaging stuff. Right. And it happened right there at Mar-a-Lago, right under Donald Trump's nose. And um, it's reported that this woman is a business associate of the other Chinese-American woman who owned the series of spas <clears throat> and, and was uh, in the practice of bringing visiting Chinese businessmen into Mar-a-Lago for meals and for the opportunity to just happened to run into no. the president of the United States and have a chance to meet the president and get their photo taken with the president. So, man, it's 
pretty pretty scary what's going on down there. The, the thing that's so terrifying about this, and you go back to when Barack Obama was president, and he said one of the things that he really worries about is cyber warfare. Yeah. We've talked about this many, said, many times, right? Keeps him up at night. And a lot of people kind of dismissed that at the time, but we are so outgunned. In, in cyber warfare. Totally. Russia and China have, they completely and totally understand. This is a new warfare for them. This is how wars are fought now. Right. It's right. not a matter of sending, you know, human yeah. bodies to a front to fight. It's all done online and and uh, uh, through that sort of communication. And so, like, you know, when you see people get freaked out because, like, Vladimir Putin gave Donald Trump a, a soccer ball. And who knows what could be in that soccer yeah, ball? Right. And, and the thing is, Donald Trump's uh, folks, uh, uh, the people that surround him, and national security experts, they have no idea what's going on. Right. They are just completely unprepared for it. You know, Congressman David uh, Cicilline, our good friend from uh, Rhode Island, made this point yesterday. He said, yeah, Donald Trump, he's talking about we've got a, a national security problem. Yeah, we, yeah, we do have a national security problem. And th- and that national security problem is Donald Trump himself. Here's a congressman from Rhode Island. This president is a national security risk, it seems. He doesn't take seriously the security measures that are in place. Don't forget, this is someone who shared classified information with the Russians about ongoing operations while meeting with them in the Oval Office. He was at a public meeting with President Xi at mar Largo, and he uses an unsecure phone. And there was been reporting that intelligence says picking that up, the Chinese and the Russian intelligence agency. Good point, David Cicilline. All right, uh, moving on to 2020 for just a couple of minutes here. We have a, another Democratic candidate for president, just what we needed. He is the young congressman, 38 years old, Eric Swalwell from the Bay Area in California, uh, represents Alameda and Contra Costa counties. He announced, uh, told uh, Stephen Colbert last night, he is in, and here is why. I see a country in quicksand, unable to solve problems and threats from abroad, unable to make life better for people here at home. Nothing gets done. And none of that is going to change until we get a leader who is willing to go big on the issues we take on, be bold in the solutions we offer, and do good in the way that we govern. I'm ready to solve these problems. I'm running for president of the United States. Uh, All right. There he is. Number 18. Got a long way to go, if you ask me. You've seen him on television a lot. He is uh, often a frequent guest on the cable channels. He is a member of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, He has had, uh, again, a lot of TV exposure. It doesn't necessarily uh, make him a strong contender, but he is in number 18. We also learned, by the way, that um, we keep looking at the dollar totals that people raised during the uh, first quarter. Amy Klobuchar was in with a respectable uh, $5.2 million just a little more than Cory Booker raised, but less than Pete Buttigieg raised, and far less than Beto or Kamala Harris or Bernie Sanders, who was number one with $18 million. You know, I, I don't want to dump on Eric Swalwell too much. Oh, you I, can. I, I think whatever. If you want to run, mean, for look, president, run for president. California, I like him. All right. Don't know so him. There is this. There is this weird long thing. Long shot. Very, very, very long shot. I think there's this weird thing among a lot of presidential candidates where it's like, presidential campaign cosplay where they're just doing things that they think presidents are supposed to do. So Eric Swalwell put out this slogan, fighting for Americans' freedom to dream. What does that mean? 
What does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, they just say stuff. They just, it's like word salad in the complete opposite direction of how Donald Trump does word salad. These are just words that mean nothing. It means nothing. Yeah. Uh, look, I have to I have to say, in that department, Make, a, make America Great Again was pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, it was pretty good. It's simple. It's easy. Yeah, yeah. It says whatever you need it to say, He's you know, a- whether or not you're a white nationalist or just a run-of-the-mill conservative. It means whatever you want it to mean. Yeah. I mean, in that category, yeah. there's, there's, there's like nobody better than Donald Trump. I'll give him that. Oh, yeah. I'll give God. him that. All right. Hey, we are just getting started here and got a lineup of great guests for you. Uh, very excited to welcome... Uh, back, our good friend uh, Daniel Lipman uh, from Politico and Playbook. Uh, we'll start out uh, and cover, you know, everything else that we haven't talked about yet with Daniel Lipman coming up next year. So a quick break. We'll be right back here on The Bill Press Show this Tuesday, April 9. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. You got it. Hey, it's Tuesday, April 9. How about it? Great to have you with us today. The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital in our studio on Capitol Hill. With a big thank you to the American Federation of Teachers, great members of the AFT, Randy Weingarten's their leader, one of them, America's uh, just most aggressive and most effective and most articulate labor leaders. Uh, proud to have her support and her friendship. And we direct you to their website, AFT.org. Say hello with me to uh, Daniel Lippman, uh, covers the White House for Politico and a co-author of Playbook, the great um, source of all the news about Washington, D.C., both uh, both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue and the agencies and the media and everything else going on. Hello, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in here. Uh, before we move on, let's take a quick uh, check of our viewers' comments. And- yes, indeed. Yeah. Lots of comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. So uh, just to recap, when we started the program today, we talked about the wait times at, at the, the fast food fast food restaurant. Yes, right. Dr- the drive through By the way, uh, I've got the entire list. I didn't want to bore you with the entire list of every one of them. Yeah, okay. But I've got them here. Uh, Except for Panda Express. I don't have that one. Have we'll have to ask Julian Castro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, okay. I think it's a little bit longer when you get a, pre- a call from the President of the United States while you're making your Panda Express order. Uh, okay, so uh, somebody pointed out and says, <laughs> Bill, it's so refreshing to hear you open the show without talking about Donald Trump. Thank you. <laughs> so people are happy that we're covering Good. the really important, the important news, news right. out there. Uh, okay, so we didn't just talk about fast food, obviously. Uh, on the border, uh, Holly says, as Trump wants someone tougher, perhaps he could resurrect Himmler or Heinrich or Eichmann. Or Charles any, Manson. Any of them would be perfect for the Trump regime, yes, or or Charles Manson. Uh, and just a reminder, we had a poll up yesterday uh, about will we ever see Donald Trump's tax returns. Oh, the poll right. is now closed, but yes. so we have the official results. 52% of you say yes, we oh. will see Donald Trump's tax returns. 40% of you say no. 8% of you are undecided. People are still commenting on this, uh, by the way. Larry is very upset. He says, no, we will not because Democrats are weak. They should have impeached this dirtbag months ago. (laughs) It's a complicated answer, Larry. I appreciate it. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show. By the way, there are two, as Nikki Schwab yesterday reminded us, there are two steps here. One is that the law is is very clear, and uh, Peter 
we should be sure to send up my column in the Hill today. Yes, of course. On, on this issue, uh, that the um, I think it's sixty one oh three F of the IRS code, but does say that the if requested by a member of Congress, the commissioner shall furnish, shall furnish. Doesn't say may. Doesn't say it says shall furnish those tax returns to the Congress. It's up to the Congress as to whether or not they will make them public. That's a, that's a second step that uh, people might forget about. Um, Daniel Lippman with us again from uh, Politico, from Playbook, uh, just celebrating a big birthday. Daniel, happy Thank birthday. Thank you. All right. 29. Oh, so. my God. 29. Know. All right. You're almost. Almost middle-aged, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I've been, you know, working forever, though, so. Since I started my, you know, my first journalism internship was when I was like 15 years old. So that's like, you know, 14 years. So. Whoa. Where? At the uh, Berkshire Record, which is our local weekly uh, newspaper. In the Berkshires? Uh, in, in the Berkshires. Yeah. And so I would uh, go to the office on Wednesday afternoons and, you know, proofread and sometimes write uh, some articles. Uh, and I would get paid, I don't know, $100 a week or something. Something. Uh, so it's already efforts. a 14-year retro record. <laughs> More uh, than decade-long journalism in, career. In journalism, yeah, man, I'm telling you. Uh, well, you're looking good for 29. I mean, Thank you know. You. You, you, you don't I'm that. sleeping more, so that's good. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Um, do you, we've seen this Kirsten Nielsen, Kirsten Nielsen thing like Sunday. I mean, I know you've written about this with um, the departures from the Trump administration there have been many of them, and they haven't all been um, um, smooth, shall we say, right? No. This one seems to be smooth than others, but President Trump, uh, he hasn't said had any many nice things to say about Kirsten Nielsen. He did uh, put out a, you know, a terse tweet, which uh, thanked her for her service, uh, but that's yeah. kind of the requisite, uh, you know, getting booted tweet. Uh, and I actually wrote a story uh, last night with my colleague Andrew Astuccia, which was about uh, how the you know Trump administration likes to stage manage these things to make the president look less bad and to kind of hurt the reputations of the people who are leaving. Right. Uh, right. Uh, unless they actually really like the person, which is you know a rare uh, instance. You can think of Nikki Haley, who was a U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Uh, Linda McMahon. Uh, oh, he. It was effusive in his praise of Linda McMahon. Yeah, I don't know how many, how much uh, he knows about all what the SBA has been doing. Uh, from all accounts, she has done a good job as the head of the SBA, but it's not a top agency where there right. are many controversial things. Who who is against small business, obviously? And so the uh, you know she got like a thirteen minute love fest, uh, while uh, Kirsten Nielsen got like a twenty one word tweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, I had a great quote from An- Anthony Scaramucci on, I the, love on the, the record. Mo- I love the Mooch quote, right? Was, and yeah. uh, you know, we have it on a headline on uh, Politico saying, "I would have preferred not to have been ejected like an Austin Powers villain." And so <laughs> that's the first time I've put Austin Powers in a uh, headline. Uh, and so he, you know, it kind of goes with. You know, he was only there for ten days or so, uh, and you know he did something bad in that he trusted a reporter uh, and thought that it was off the record, uh, and then kind of mouthed it off as an, on his colleagues. 
but you know, President Trump is obsessed with the optics of everything he does, uh, and that extends to both policy and personnel and the staff moves. It's been record turnover. Uh, DHS is pretty much empty of its uh, top officials. Well, I was just going to say, it's not now we know with uh, with um, a DHS, it's not just Kirsten Nielsen. It is first of all, it was the director of FEMA back in February. It was a new uh, guy who was disappointed to be head of ICE, suddenly had the rug pulled out from under him because he didn't get to his confirmation hearing on Friday. Kirsten Nielsen on Sunday, yesterday, Monday, was the head of the Secret Service. And we're told, um, I probably read it in your article this morning, uh, the general counsel of DHS is got, looks like it's going to get the boot. Citizen, The head of Citizen and Immigration Services is going to get the boot. I mean, is this um, Stephen Miller just taking the ax to anybody that was close to Kirsten Nielsen? Yeah, they're they're cleaning house. There's the other vacancies are, uh, you know, there is a a DHS is without a permanent secretary, a deputy secretary, two undersecretaries, a secret service director, a FEMA director, an ICE director, general counsel, uh, you know, citizenship and immigration services director, which, like you mentioned, Whoa. inspector general, CFO, chief privacy con- uh, officer, and once Kevin McAleenan moves, customs and border protection commissioner. So that's basically most, you know, many of their senior roles in there. And so well, uh, that's like all of them, right? Yeah. yeah. And so it's this record bloodletting that even Republicans on the Hill, like Chuck Grassley, Ron Johnson, who are have uh, congressional oversight of this uh, with Homeland Security and. Uh, judiciary committees, they are raising red flags and saying this is a leadership void uh, at a time when there is a true crisis at the border and that there's uh, there was 100,000 uh, people coming across last month, I believe, uh, and uh, you know the Central American uh, economic and uh, geopolitical situation is still very bad, which is leading people to want to come to the U.S., uh, and at that time, uh, Miller is trying to get rid of everyone because he is uh, concerned that they are not uh, doing enough. But he actually has admitted that he doesn't have – they've kind of run out of other options. Well, uh, is it possible to – how easy is going – put it this way. How easy is it going to be to get new people confirmed to these positions? Uh it depends on who he picks. If he picks, well, person. you know he's not going to pick anybody, right? <laughs> who, the, he, uh, he's got to. He, he, he's going to pick he someone says, who's hard got, line. Exactly. Obviously. Exactly. And yeah. so, uh, if he picks like a Rick Perry, which you know he's talked, uh, there's been some talk about the current energy secretary to be DHS secretary, which I think is still unlikely. Uh, and Perry says he's happy in his job, but that kind of is wrote. Uh, uh, he has to. Say you know that. why he's happy in his job because nobody pays any attention to him. <laughs> you never hear from him, Not right? Much. No, he he lay he, he he lays low. He hunkers down, right? That's how he survived. Yep. And so uh, there is, uh, but if he that, then it's much easier to get that person, Rick Perry, confirmed as opposed to someone like Ken Cuccinelli, the former Attorney General of Virginia, who is right. Um, it's going to be harder for him to get a uh, Lisa Murkowski vote or Susan Collins or what have you to confirm. Uh, yeah, uh, which is why one of the things that, that, that Donald Donald Trump gets around that by naming people as acting. Yeah, but that is not Eventually, obviously though, ideal because, uh, 
you are left uh, in a situation where you're kind of a tentative hold on leadership and um, to make bold policy moves and actually have a vision that goes further than like two weeks, you have to have someone who is confirmed. And uh, Nielsen, if you talk to her allies, she uh, did the best she could as uh, the DHS secretary. And she also held the line against some of the more illegal things that Miller and the White House wanted. Uh, Obviously, she's been brandished with child separation, but that was not her baby. It was, you know, she was kind of told, you have to, you know, we have to do this. This is our, and Jeff Sessions was, um, you know, leading but, the charge on this. But, yeah. you know, he, she, she was trying to work on cyber and other issues. But she, she but. is the, I mean, Jeff Sessions is the one who announced the zero tolerance policy. Kirsten Nielsen is the one who carried it out, right? And she did so. Yeah. Um, we've played a couple of times a clip where she said, yeah, we had to do it. We're, I'm proud of what we did. Boom, 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 boom. Um, the question about why she was fired, um, we got a little insight to that uh, this morning when we uh, discovered uh, this little clip of, so Lou Dobbs had a guest on March 28th, just a week or so ago, where he was talking about the problems at DHS. Here's, we start out, here's the guest, I don't even know who it is, talking to Lou Dobbs, and then just here, Lou Dobbs pick up telling, and we know how close he is to Donald Trump. I mean, Sean Hannity and Lou Dobbs particularly talk to Donald Trump all the time. Uh, here's Lou Dobbs talking to his guest on March 28th. So I, I, I agree, Lou, but, but the minimum the border patrol, they, they do have to take their orders from the secretary, so they do have to get authorization to do what they want to do, and they know Then the president to needs to fire her because she is nothing but a roadblock on creativity, innovation, adaptiveness, and responding to the situation we have instead of the one that she apparently uh, wants to dream about. Blue Dobbs, the president has to fire her. Then, then it happens. He hears but, it on Fox News, and <laughs> there he goes. Uh, you know, I think Lou Dobbs is, uh, you know, uh, he is, what's funny about him is that his, uh, you know, daughter uh, and what she has supported, you know, she is... Uh, you know, used uh, you know they in ten years ago, fifteen years ago, they would have uh, she was she was big in equestrian dressage, and so they were uh, you know in the horse race industry. There are plenty of people who are illegal immigrants oh. who are oh, you yeah. know support staff, and so uh, it's just ironic that someone like Lou Dobbs is uh, very anti-immigration when uh, you know just kind of look in the mirror, right. So it's it basically it's Steve Miller who's in charge in terms. I mean, Trump. He's it looks like, like the it, Secretary of Homeland Security. And he effect. is. He's right. more powerful than uh, any of them have ever been. Well, for for border anything having to do with the immigration, the border. But Steve also, Miller. like, how effective has he been? Because uh, if you are really truly anti-immigration, you would think that they have an open borders policy, given how many people are coming in uh, and. Uh, the issues they've been dealt with. Uh, and so obviously they are not happy with the situation and this is not all up to them. But uh, I think, uh, you know, there have been some reporting that people were wanted to come in before there was going to be a border wall, but mm-hmm. it doesn't look like there's going to be a border wall. And so, uh, and the country has to figure out a way to have comprehensive immigration reform if it wants to uh, deal with uh, the problem of, uh, you you want to get people on 
the right side of society and not have an underclass of 11 million people who are illegal and uh, off the radar. Daniel Lippman with us, Daniel Lippman with us from Politico, Politico.com. We talked a little bit earlier about the uh, tax returns, uh, and I thought it was interesting that one White House official told CNN, uh, as far as they were concerned, this was the hill to die on, or whether or not they would release Donald yeah, Trump's which tax is the returns. Name of, uh, I was just going to say, that's my segue. Interesting that there's a book come out by your two colleagues, two colleagues. Anna Palmer and Jake Shelton. Sherman. Sherman, sorry, uh, called The, the hill, hill to, to Die, die on, on, which just came out this week, right? Today. Today. And oh, whoa. It's getting a lot of headlines. It's been getting a lot of buzz, a lot of, a lot of press. They're doing a lot of interviews, and uh, you know, there's a number of takeaways that uh well there's some funny stories that have come out of it um tell us about the access hollywood so after the access hollywood tape in 2016 feels like a century ago but it's still interesting that that campaign uh you know paul ryan basically gave who was a speaker of the house gave free remit to anyone any other any republicans who are going to abandon trump and said you know uh there's not going to be any consequences. You should have to do what you have to do in terms of your own political interests. Uh, and So uh, he had a – as speaker, he, as I recall, I haven't read the book yet, but he had a – reading the press accounts. He had a conference call with all the members, yeah. right? Because uh, everyone was concerned. What do we do? What do we this do? This guy right. is saying yeah. – uh, Grab women by their genitals and what, Yeah, whatever. how do we deal with this? Uh, how do we avoid losing all our seats given that this guy is uh, – didn't seem to be like a Teflon candidate. He, we now know that he's pretty strong, but right. uh, this was something that Republicans were freaking out about, and uh, Paul Ryan gave them permission to uh, do what they need to do to save their skins. And he said himself, right, that he could no longer support him. Yeah, he was not going to uh, support no. him. And then, obviously, he gets uh, elected, and then he's a, a big ally, mostly. Although it was a pained relationship because... Trump's team did not understand how to work the Hill, mostly. Uh, and yeah, I remember that fight to repeal Obamacare, which everyone kind of forgets now. They tried so hard to do that, and they really could not uh, do it. Now they're picking away at it uh, in the courts and also the um, uh, you know the agencies. And uh, the uh, the account that I did, the, the sort of the, the end of that story is that Paul Ryan, Trump's already president. Paul Ryan's at the White House, and. And Trump kind of pulls him aside and says, you know, like, what happened? I understand that this you had a problem with me like, with this. And Ryan said, yeah, you know, I did. And, and Trump said, well, you're just a Boy Scout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're just a boy. That's your problem. You're He's too much of a Boy Scout. Too, 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 too moral of a person to say that type of stuff that Trump said. Uh, you know, you can't really think of Paul Ryan as the type of guy who's going to <laughs> New York City clubs partying with Trump back in their no. bachelor days. He's more <laughs> straight on the straight and narrow. Uh, and so, yeah, it's packed. The book is packed with uh, some interesting, uh, you know, scoops about uh, what it examines the relationship between Congress and Trump in an era when uh, that is a very important relationship, given that uh, it affects uh, policy and every every uh, Americans' uh, lives and how they interact with the government. So um, are the president's tax returns the hill that White House staff are are going to die on? I mean, uh, the law is pretty clear that that the, the, if requested by Congress, the IRS commissioner 
uh, is required to turn the tax returns of any American over. What Congress does with them is a different story, but but uh, the law is pretty clear. And it goes back to 1924. Um, the question, I guess, is will that happen? Will they? And and also, why does what what's in there that Trump doesn't want us to know? Uh, you know, obviously, I think he has he's not as rich as people think, uh, or that he has said repeatedly. Uh, uh, he and he's inflated his brand or he has inflated his net worth by saying that billions of dollars of his net worth is tied up in his name although it's that's kind of hard to square up given that his name has been tarnished for millions of Americans in terms of they're not going to buy Trump products they might have done that before uh, and they're not going to go to Trump properties uh, to patronize them because they are against the president uh, and they don't think he has done a good job and then you have the millions of Americans who are more likely to spend money at Trump properties, who mm-hmm. uh, are kind of keeping them afloat. The D.C. hotel has been uh, doing pretty well, uh, especially with those foreign dignitaries who were <laughs> trying to uh, buy access. But clearly, um, if he is fighting so hard not to release the tax returns, there's got to be stuff if, in there that he would find embarrassing. If there was nothing in there, well, he then he would find anything embarrassing, but would not be necessarily good news, it. right? Happy. If about he it. was, if there was nothing in them, he would just uh, fight about other issues. I guarantee you. Yeah, I mean, they've they've indicated they may take this, you know, all the way to the Supreme Court. I have no doubt that they're uh, they would pursue every avenue to uh, to fight this. And Mick Mulvaney said on the Sunday shows that that they're never going to get it released, which is uh, it, the law says they shall. Get released. It's a one. It's another question. We had an interesting story about um, once they are given to Congress, then how do they deal with them? Do they, you know, do they leak them? That's a, against the law, so there would be uh, an mm-hmm. investigation from DOJ about that. Uh, or do they kind of summarize them in uh, their own words uh, and talk about what they found? Right. Um, Pete Buttigieg was in town uh, over the weekend. Um, a very interesting appearance in front of the uh, the um, victory victory brunch on Sunday by the Human Resources Committee. Um, human Rights Rights. I'm sorry, Human committee. Rights Committee. Thank you. Um, where he talked about um, that's a different it, trade association. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pete Buttigieg has become sort of these in his nascent presidential campaign the spokesperson for the religious left. Right. Yeah. Uh, And particularly he's had a little back and forth with Vice President Mike Pence, who is clearly a prophet of the uh, evangelical right. Uh, And here's Pete Buttigieg and and, uh, Mike Pence, uh, a um, if not a homophobe, but not very supportive of LGBTQ rights. Pete Buttigieg on Sunday. I can tell you that if me being gay was a choice. It was a choice that was made far, far above my pay grade. And that's the thing I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand. That if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. Wow. That really raises it to another level, huh? It does. <laughs> uh, and what's interesting is By that- By the way, right on, Pete. Mayor Pete, yeah, go ahead. And, you know, we had this interesting item in uh, Playbook this morning 
uh, that you know discovered what uh, Mike Pence said about Pete Buttigieg uh, back in uh, you know 2015. Uh, where he said, uh, I'm pulling it up. I mean, surely they know each other from Indiana, right? I mean, they've got to have some sort of history there. Okay, so flashback, uh, June 2015, Indiana, when WSBT22, which is a local Mm -hmm. TV or radio station, asked Mike Pence what he thought of Buttigieg's announcement. He replied, quote, I hold Mayor Buttigieg uh, in the highest personal regard. We have a great working relationship. I see him as a dedicated public servant and a patriot. So that would be interesting in some campaign ads if Mayor Pete is the nominee. <laughs> P.S. Too bad he's gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Lots going on. Lots to talk about. So good to have you in. Thank you, Thank Daniel. Thank you, Bill. Okay. Uh, and uh, congratulations on 15 years. Here's to the next 15, the yes. next 30, <laughs> next 45 or whatever. We'll Who be knows? back. Igor Volsky joins us as a friend of Bill this coming up. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, they're calling it the Department of Homeland Insecurity. Nobody there is very secure in their jobs, that's for sure. The big purge going on uh, under the orders of Donald Trump, carried out by Steve Miller. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us on a Tuesday, Tuesday, April 9, the Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day, uh, whatever's happening here in our nation's capital, around the country and around the globe. We will bring you uh, up to date and look forward to hearing from you what it means uh, to you and your family, your community. As we join you online, we join you on the radio, and we join you on television nationwide and around the globe as well. Uh, And what a big day, a big day, um, a lot of news going on, no news bigger than the fact that this is the release date (laughs) for this new book about the whole gun safety movement uh, by the great organization Guns Down. That's the name of the book, Guns Down, and its author and the creator and executive director of Guns Down, our own Igor Volsky in hey, studio with Bill, us. Bill, how are you? You can tell it's a big day because Igor has a tie I know, on I today. Actually, I actually chose <laughs> to look nice today. I, Many people are very surprised. I don't know that I've ever seen you in a tie. But I've go. had ties on before on this show. I mean, this <laughs> on one's this just show. very, very bright, and I thought I needed something bold for Well, congratulations. For the day. Thank this you so much. really, really a big day for you. And, and we might add this is Igor's first TV appearance 
uh, today, on the day of release for Guns Down. Right here. All right. Here right we are. here, we part are. of the Bill Press family. We are honored. So you got to buy the book. That's the thing. Buy the book. It's a very, very important issue, very important cause, and very important friend here. Uh, and we'll talk a lot more about it now that you're here. Uh, but first... Peter always this gets the first word. All he Court always press. does. That's right. All the important stories right here. Bill, we got a problem. Uh-oh. we got a real problem, and you might be part of the problem. Uh, we no. go to Los Angeles where, Uh-oh. you know, the traffic is bad in L.A., and a lot of people know about a lot of different shortcuts in Los Angeles. And more, I, Boy, yeah. More the and more, La Brea cutoff, man. That's a way to get to LAX. Don't don't give anybody any ideas. Oh, well, right, here's okay. what the problem is. Because traffic is so bad, people are using GPS apps like <clears throat> Waze to use these shortcuts. And there is one particular mm. neighborhood in LA that constantly gets used mm. as a shortcut. Well, damn it. The people that live there are not happy about it and they are going to fight over it they people are coming out onto their lawns during rush hour to yell at cars using their street (laughs) as a as a shortcut because they hate all of the added traffic on their normally quiet street this is a problem i'm a big wazer sure and um this is happening in a lot of communities in the country yeah, and, and no, I, absolutely. I, even here in D.C., which I sell music because I know the city so well, but if it's really like rush hour, mm-hmm. I will use Waze, and I'll go through neighborhoods in Washington I never knew yeah. oh, wow. existed. It's a great way to, yeah. solve to shave off two minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> or 30 seconds. Uh, it's a big day today. You Uh-oh. know what today is? Yeah, Igor's here. Well, I mean, that's the biggest news, of course. <laughs> but even uh, besides that, it's free cone day. Ben and Jerry's is giving away free ice cream cones at all of their locations. And there's no catch. You don't have to buy anything. You just have to get in line, line up, wait there. As soon as you get to the front, tell them you're there for free code day. They'll hand you a free scoop of ice cream. Damn. Well, remember the, the good old days when Ben and Jerry's was right, right next here. store to us. Well, right they're, here. They're celebrating the release of Guns Down with that this promotion. That must be it. Yes. Good that must be it. And by the way, yes. our buddy Ben Cohen, who's been in here many, many times uh, from Ben and Jerry, uh, they point out that if you go through and you get a cone and you eat it and you want another one, no problem. Get back in line. You can go back. There's no limit on how many ice cream cones you could get from Ben and Jerry's today. Whoa. You get a cone and you get a cone. You get a cone. You get a cone. You get a cone. Yeah, exactly. It's not a bad deal. No. Ben, by the way, is on the um, executive committee, I think, of the steering committee for the Bernie Sanders campaign. That's right. I wonder if they're going to come out with another Bernie Sanders flavor. This, I, I this hope time, so. Like they did the last time. It's... This is the Bill Press Show. Number 18. Yeah, write it down. Eric Swalwell becomes uh, the 18th Democratic candidate. Uh, Come on in. The water's fine. Seems to be the rule. Announcing last night on Stephen Colbert. And he says gun safety is going to be his number one issue. Hello, everybody. It is a Tuesday, April 9. This is the Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us on the radio uh, out in Chicago and the great area around uh, communities around Chicago. We're there with you on WCPT and nationwide looking at you on Free Speech TV. 
here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, uh, someone you know well because he's often sitting in this chair uh, or that chair, but more often this chair lately, Igor Volsky, who um, was Think Progress for a long time, but now he's got his own organization what a year ago now? Uh, well, two two years. Two but, years. Two years. But Whoa. I've been doing it full time since August of 2018. Oh, so is that it? Okay. Where right. I so. feel like we're just getting started, really. Executive director of the new organization, Guns Down, and author of the new book out today, Guns Down. And so you know, we always sort of subtly suggest maybe you should look up the book. No, no, no. Today, <laughs> the hard sell is on. Buy the book. It's Igor's book at your local bookstore or wherever you buy books, online, whatever, hopefully your local independent bookstore. Get the book today. Igor, congratulations. It's good to see you. Thank you. So good to be here. By the way, you're saying gun safety. My argument is we should be saying gun control. Okay. Because guns are inherently dangerous. They're dangerous in almost I'm, any civilian hands. They're the problem, and that's what we need to solve for. I'm for gun control. There you go. But um, I, sometimes I think that maybe it's a politically correct thing to say. I notice most politicians now use gun safety. Well, you know, they've been saying that for 20 years, right, really since Columbine. Yeah. And what kind of progress have we made on the federal level in that 20 years? Very uh, limited. I was just going to say, like, almost zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Can you believe uh, it, though, 20 years since is, Columbine? Is no, no. April 20th is going to be the 20-year anniversary. I remember where I was. I don't know if you remember where you were. But it really ushered in the kind of modern phase of, of this movement. And for the last 20 years, politicians and advocates have been pushing this incremental reform, things like background checks and closing certain loopholes. That stuff is important, but it also just doesn't go far enough and it doesn't have a real end goal. It doesn't give people a sense of what we're actually fighting for. And in this book, I argue that the long-term goal should be building a future with fewer guns. What can we learn from New Zealand? Oh, the key thing we need to learn from New Zealand is New Zealand and other countries around the world, they don't go around separating people between good guys and bad guys. They don't argue that we just need to remove the firearms from dangerous people. What they're doing is they're changing the environment in which guns are purchased and therefore raising the standard of gun ownership. That keeps everybody safe because that's the other thing here, Bill, is that you hear politicians, even those running for president, arguing, well, we just need to disarm deadly people, that that's really the problem. But in a country where two thirds of gun deaths are suicide, two thirds, it's it's a framework that doesn't really work. It doesn't really make sense. And I think politicians are using it because they've been using it for the last 20 years. That's the messaging they're familiar with. It's really like muscle memory. And I'm saying it doesn't make sense on a policy level. It hasn't gotten us anywhere politically. We need to ask in 2019 on the 20th anniversary of Columbine, we should be asking for for what we really want. Just say it, don't be afraid of it. We do it on every other issue. On healthcare, we talk about single payer. On climate, we talk about Green New Deal. Why is it that on guns, we still talk about incremental reforms like background checks? It doesn't make any sense to me. So guns down means just what it sounds like. It means the number of guns should be should go down. down. We have right. 393 million guns in circulation, more whoa, guns whoa, than people, down. Bill. I was just more guns say, than people. 393? 393. Which is probably an undercount, actually. Oh, it absolutely is a, yeah, an undercount. Right. 
uh, more guns than people. More guns than people. And that's that's part of well, the reason why our gun deaths are so high, because you look at all of the research domestically and internationally, and it all points to one thing. Where there are fewer guns, there are fewer gun suicides, there are fewer gun homicides, there are fewer mass shootings. Get this. There if you are, look at other, if, if you look every, at other countries and in the states that have tougher gun laws. Right. And there's also, Bill, this really surprised me, there are fewer police shootings where there are fewer guns, both you shooting police and police shooting at you. Hmm. I hadn't seen that statistic. Yes. Well, so what is, I mean, it, if it's not incremental, right, what is the answer? I Here's mean, how you do it. And in right. this book, I have what I call the new Second Amendment Compact, which is a set of policies that gets us towards a future with fewer okay. guns. Now. To be clear, this is going to require kind of a, a patchwork approach. There's no light switch you can you know, turn on or turn off and fix everything. But I talk about it in terms of three different buckets. Bucket number one, you got to regulate the gun industry in a serious way. I mean, I bet people- Manufacturers. Manufacturers and dealers actually as well. Uh, right. Because good. I bet people don't know that- the products that the manufacturers produce are not regulated for safety at all. So aspirin, uh, teddy bears, cars, they all go through rigorous testing before coming to market. Guns don't. And so when the industry made a business decision in the late 80s and early 90s, they had a problem about how do you sell new firearms to people who already have a lot of firearms. And so they made the decision to start producing militarized weapons for the civilian market. That's how we got assault weapons in civilian hands, and that's how we got these militarized handguns that use larger rounds. Those rounds are coming at you faster. Mm -hmm. And now you see in many places across America, people dying of gunshot wounds. They were surviving from the past generations of handguns. It's a big, big problem. So I argue fundamentally reform the way that industry works regulate its products, outlaw certain products entirely. That's incredibly important. So that's bucket one, really regulate the industry. Bucket two is you got to make guns significantly harder to get. You got to raise that standard of gun ownership. So what I advocate for is, let's say you want a gun. Okay, that means you have to go to the police station. You have to get fingerprinted. You have to do a written test. You have to do a field test. You have to undergo a very comprehensive background check, not just the NICS system. We know how incomplete that is, but the, the station is able to tap multiple databases. And they should also have discretion, Bill, because we know in a lot of cases, particularly in domestic abuse, the cops may be called to the house 10, 15, 20 times, no charges are filed, and then eventually a life is taken. And so if the police know that, but it doesn't show up in the background check, they should have a level of discretion about whether or not they give you a license. Does that include registering the gun? And yes, registering is the other piece of the gun and also insurance. Get insurance on the gun. That's also important. So you raise the standard of gun ownership. And then for folks- I want to come back to yep. bucket one for a second. Bucket one. Does that also include um, being able to sue the gun manufacturer? Yes. So right now there's a law that prevents that in most cases. We need to right. get rid of that. That's a challenge though, because there was a federal law, the PLACA law, but there's also 37 states that have state versions of this legislation that that gives immunity to the gun industry and to gun dealers. Okay. So, okay. That, but that's right. that's very important. Yeah. That's and that's okay. a good point. And then the third bucket, Bill, is 
really uh, solving the gun deaths and the gun crisis that is happening in many of our urban communities. And what works there and what we know works there are community-based violence intervention programs that have significantly reduced gun deaths. And the reason why they work is if you take a map of places like Boston or Philadelphia or Baltimore, you can really chart out where all of the gun crime is coming from to specific blocks, to specific streets. It's really just a handful of individuals who are responsible for a lot of the gun death. So what these programs do is that they come in and they work with violence interrupters within the community. These are people who have credibility in that community. Many of them maybe served time in the past and have since come out and want to help their community. They know the folks who are causing the most trouble and they work with them to de-escalate situations. So if you have a beef with someone and the community norm is you take out your gun and you shoot mm -hmm. that person, they work with you over time to change how you react to those situations, to de-escalate. Where, where are these organizations They're working? all over. They're in Baltimore. They're, in Boston was the big project, that Operation Ceasefire, that began in the 90s. They're in Philadelphia. They've reduced gun crime by an average of 30 to 70 percent, depending mm -hmm. on the program, depending on the location. They need federal funding, and that's what I call for in the book. Any in Chicago? In Chicago as well. Many in Chicago. In fact, I traveled to Chicago uh, and met with with folks who run that program, both their clients and the violence interrupters. Bill, I met with uh, one young man. He is 14 years old. He had just been shot, I think, three weeks prior before we met. He has never left Chicago. He's never been on an airplane. He's never been on a train. And he was shocked that I was asking him about this because to him, this was just daily life. This is what life is, getting shot, getting into trouble, and facing the consequences. And it really shook me. It really shook me, Bill. And in that, he's part of that program now, and so he's working with, with these violence interrupters. He's working with social workers to keep him in school, to keep him out of trouble, to teach him how to deal with tense situations so that you change the mode of behavior and you don't ever pick up the gun in the first place. Uh, I'm not sure which bucket it belongs in, but isn't uh, there's another problem that 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 um, Hurt talked about, which is to build a case maybe for some of these measures. Um, it would be nice to know what impact gun deaths have in on American health issues. I mean, the relation. Isn't the CDC still prohibited by Congress from even investigating what a public health problem Yeah, I mean, this are? is one of the I mean, most that, absurd things yeah. in our policy is that the government cannot fund research that will help us understand the factors that lead people to firearm suicide, the factors that contribute to violence in our cities, the best ways to reduce all of those things. Yeah. Just establish what the problem the gun deaths have to yeah. public yep. health life and, right, in and, this country and, and what could be done about exactly. it. And that, of course, speaks to the muscle of the gun industry and its lobby in, in preventing that kind of research. Is it as muscular as people think it is? 
guns down, right? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a- you and others have proven that it's not, I guess, is what I'm getting well, to. Here's the thing, I- Bill. It- Certainly, and I'm asked this question a lot, right? This is yeah. the number one question I, I sure. get. What can we do? Because the NRA is so powerful. Everybody right. says, well, we can't do anything because the NRA is so powerful. And I'm fully aware, by the way, that when I first entered the gun movement with thoughts and prayers, right, shaming lawmakers for sending thoughts and prayers in December of 2015, yes. that I in some way contributed to that problem, right? Because I said, there's all of this money, they're throwing all of this money around, and with the implication being, what can we do? So this is why I wanted to write this book, right, to answer this question. Look, The NRA isn't thriving under Trump. That much is clear. If you look at the stocks of the gun manufacturers, for instance, they are low. And the reason is they're having trouble in the American market. The number of gun owners is shrinking and it's shrinking quickly. People aren't hunting, aren't sports shooting as much as they as they used to. That's actually why the NRA is so focused on undermining the reforms of New Zealand. They have a big campaign going on there. They want to keep markets open for the gun industry worldwide because the American mm-hmm. market is really is really getting smaller. But in terms of how do you defeat the NRA? Look, part of what I work on uh, with my organization, Guns Down America, is creative ways of financially draining the industry and the lobby. And so what we launched last week uh, was a campaign that is pushing the 15 largest banks in America to stop doing business with the gun industry until that industry can be fundamentally reformed. And by the way, if folks go to isyourbankloaded.org, they'll get a list of the 15 banks. We worked with a research firm to figure out how much those banks had invested in the gun industry. Based on that research, we've graded all of the banks. So some have higher grades, some have lower grades. And folks on isyourbankloaded.org can see what grade their bank has and take action. They can Facebook at Facebook message the bank. They can tweet the bank. They can write an email from their personal account to the bank with the message being, hey, when I go to the bank and put my hard-earned dollars into the bank, those dollars should not go to fund the gun industry. And you as a bank customer have leverage with that bank to push them to do better because they need your money. Uh, right. This was uh, launched last week, written up in the uh, New York Times, where I saw it. A very effective campaign. Uh, I didn't see anybody else focus on the banks. Yes. There have been some other, um, I've heard some other talk in the past about uh, for people for their investment portfolios, they also ought to make sure that their mutual fund mm-hmm. does not include putting money into the industry, the manufacturers. The industry, the manufacturers. Yeah, and that's a, Just, lot of, that's a lot of real important work. Uh, and we felt like we could really add value to that body of work by looking at banks, yeah, looking at consumer-facing yeah. banks. And it also, Bill, answers the question. I'm asked this, this question a lot as well. What can I do? I got two blue senators. I call them all the time. They're like, stop calling already. We know, we know, we know. What can I do? So this is our answer. Everybody has a credit card. Everybody has a bank. Everyone as an individual or more importantly, even is as an institution can push their financial institutions to do better. Um, and also um, what people can do, um, even if their own a, a member of Congress or a senator uh, is on the right side of this issue, let's say, um, they're not limited from helping people in or helping either dethrone people or helping people in other areas, right. right? In That's other, right. We, we've seen now 
Like, look at Act Blue, right through Act Blue. You can give money to any congressional district in the country, people you've never heard of, right? By the way, you know who else you can give money to using Act Guns Blue? Down Guns down America. Guns down America. I That's bet. Right. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. absolutely right. Thing you can do, right? <laughs> but I'm thinking back on the, so on the electoral front, the number, that at least I've got in my head, I th- hope it's right, is that I think John Yarmouth, who is always congressman from Kentucky, now head of the Budget Committee, good friend of the program, here often as a guest, and who ran the NRA. He's gotten an F rating. In fact, he wears an F on Where's his jacket. Where's it proudly? Yeah. He gave us each one of those. Oh, wow. For, for, uh, I love that. And uh, where's it proudly? When he started out, the NRA took him on 100%. He beat them then. He's beat them every time he's been up for re-election. I think he told us there were 17 members of Congress elected last year who were opposed by the NRA, who ran against mm-hmm. the NRA, 17 of them. And, and so uh, about a 46, I believe, NRA-backed members lost their seats in the midterms. Yeah. Right. So even, uh, in, uh, you know, running for Congress, running for state legislature, whatever, you know, you don't have to roll over well, for the NRA. Bill, the NRA is the— are, The American people are really— on they're they're on the right side of this aren't well they? and all of the policies we just discussed that I talk about in the book overwhelming majorities support them 70 yeah. percent of Americans think we already have licensing the latest polls 78 79 percent support licensing majority support registration these aren't crazy ideas in fact after the Kennedy assassination, Lyndon Johnson set up a committee to figure out what can we do, a commission rather, what can we do to reduce this gun problem in this country? And you know what they came out with? This was like I think in 670 maybe the, the commission report came out. It's in the book. Came out with licensing, registration. In other words, making guns harder to get. These aren't crazy radical ideas. Uh, These are things that have worked in other countries. And that's why, by the way, the politicians who are running for president need to embrace this stuff. They got to get away from this incrementalism in the year of big ideas, right? When they're all talking about Green New Deal and all that stuff. Why, again, why, why, why are we still thinking small on guns? We have to think big. Um, Eric Swalwell, who announced last night on Stephen Colbert, has said, uh, you know, if Jay Inslee has climate change as his issue, Bernie has Medicare for all as his issue, Eric Swalwell says his issue is guns down. Have you met with him, talked with him? Or we've talked We've talked to his, uh, to his congressional office, and, yeah. you know, he obviously is very— uh, very good on this issue, uh, and I think uh, they're probably now in the process of thinking about what is their gun platform. Um, and again, I would argue you have to think bigger. In 2019, in a country with 393 million guns, background checks at point of purchase are just yeah. not going to save enough lives. Right. Uh, just too timid a too timid. I mean, First but, step. well, A, too timid, uh, but B, doesn't really have the life-saving effects we need. It doesn't. Even the best science shows maybe a 15% reduction in, in overall gun deaths. And I, I think it's actually gun homicides. Um, uh, and, and, you know, and that study has been called to question. There's been other studies that show that there's no population level effect at all, no population level effect on these over when, on these instant background checks that what really works, again, is the licensing scheme. When you put a, a lot of time between when you want a gun and when you can actually buy a gun. Um, so did you buy the book yet? Come on. <laughs> you've had 25 <laughs> minutes here. Guns Down is the name of the book. You know where to get it. Uh, Igor Volsky out today. Um, 
Did we have a little win with the bump stock decision this week? Yes. It's great that bump stocks are banned. Bump stocks are just one in a whole series of accessories the industry is producing now. Why? Because they're trying to sell new products to an oversaturated American market. And there's all kinds of different things, right? Which, again, goes to my argument of that's good. Now we need to go further. But even that sort of a sad story in that the only way it happened that was that Trump did it by executive order that could not even get that through this Congress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which, you know, which again, which, yeah. well, which speaks to the fact that, look, you, you pointed to the polls, right? And the sense that folks, folks are on the right side of this issue. The majority of Americans support this issue. They need to start voting on it. They need to really continue organizing on it in a big, big way. Just like the other side has spent years hearing that gun ownership was part of their identity of who they are. It should now be part of our identity to, as Americans, see ourselves as patriots who who want to see safe communities and who believe we need to prove to our communities that we could handle guns responsibly. We need to define what freedom means in this country, freedom from gun deaths. Uh, But what do you say to people, and you understand um, how they could get frustrated, that 20 years after Columbine, but after Columbine, after Sandy Hook, after Orlando, after Las Vegas, after Parkland, Florida, Congress still doesn't act. I mean, you can see that some people just say it's impossible. Well, I— With all your good work and all your enthusiasm and your great book, Guns Down, right, that people are just going to say it'll never happen. Well, here's what I hear to say to that. I just got back from Littleton, Colorado, which is, of course, the site of Columbine High School, yeah. where that shooting took place in, on April 20th, 1999. And I met with high school students who currently attend that high school. They go to Columbine High School. And, Bill— I was blown away by how much they know about this issue, how active they are in this movement, the things that that are they are doing in the school. By the way, one of the students, I know I don't know if you saw this, one of the students started this campaign called My Last Shot, where she printed out stickers for students to put on the back of their licenses that say, In the event that I die from gun violence, please publicize the photo of my death. Hashtag my last mm. shot. The fact that students need to be putting this on their licenses, Bill, gives you a sense of, A, right, where we live, but also the creativity, right, and the advocacy that young people are doing, the way they're driving this movement. What happened after Parkland is students from all around the country saw themselves in the 17 who died, saw themselves in the students who organized the march, and they understood that's why we do the active shooting drills every month in our school, because this could happen to us. And this issue is so in them, Bill. It's part of who they are in a way I have never seen before, not after Columbine, not after Newtown, that I truly believe, this is why I have so much optimism, I truly believe that the young people in this movement, the young people of this country are not going to let this issue go. There's a big shift now. Right. Uh, And they're, like you mentioned, Parkland. The Parkland kids are still... Marching. Yes. Right? Yes. Still organized. Yeah. Yeah. And we work with with a lot of them at, at Guns Down uh, and they're very much in this movement, not just for themselves, Bill, but for their younger siblings, for their future children, 
for the future of this country. The movement in 2019 is so much more mature than it was in 2013, which was when background checks were done. Talk a little bit about the um, uh, the um, contribution of, uh, in more ways than one, of Michael Bloomberg on this issue with uh, our so so he's it started as mayors against gun violence right. and now it has morphed to every town every town um, right. and no look people like Mike Bloomberg uh, and other uh, both political leaders across the country but him specifically have really been able to advance this issue in a serious way right and that's when I say it's a matured movement it's matured partly because of the work of Mike Bloomberg of the work of organizations like every town and Giffords and Brady mm-hmm. uh, they've been able to really educate the prob- uh, the public about what the problem is. They've been able to accomplish amazing things on the state level. I mean, state gun laws have strengthened significantly. Um, they're doing great work on the federal level. Uh, you know, and that's why it, the, mo- the movement as a result of them is so, so rich now. It is encouraging to see so much happening at the state level because, you know, that's the way. But, and that's where a lot of gun policy is made, frankly. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, if Congress is not going to act, well, we'll keep the pressure on them. In the meantime, we'll get something done at the state level, on the and state level, and also through uh, through the through the corporate yeah. advocacy work as well. Because you know, you'll yes, remember yes, that's right. how we made a lot of progress on LGBT issues, right? Absolutely. Is that corporations led the way? They have an opportunity to do that here as well on apartheid as well. Exactly. Yeah. Igor Volsky with us as a friend of Bill. Uh, we continue uh, while you are uh, buying the book there <laughs> online or wherever. Uh, guns down just out today lays out as Igor told us the platform for how we get from here to there um, and um, it's so good to have Igor with us stays with us we're going to be joined now by Molly O'Toole uh, from uh, the Los Angeles Times and talk a little bit about um, well what's happening at the Department of Homeland Security and the so-called crisis at the border quick break we'll be right back this is the Bill Press Show on a Tuesday, April 9, how about it? It is the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., uh, where it is a uh, spring has just uh, burst out here in Washington, D.C. It is glorious weather, 80 degrees yesterday, cherry blossoms in full bloom. It's a nice time to be in Washington, right? Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and great to welcome our friends uh, Igor Volsky here. Where are you no, hiding it? No, I couldn't it. find it. Look at that. <laughs> On a big day for him and for all of us with publication today of his book, Guns Down. Buy it, read it, follow it, and become part of the movement. <laughs> uh, and we're joined by Molly O'Toole from the Los Angeles Times, who covers uh, immigration issues for the particularly for the L.A. Times. Molly. Lots to do these days. Nice to see. Lots to do. Yeah, I've seen some news about it. Sure, yeah, right? seen some things. Uh, and we are brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, those good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They're the ones that serve us uh, and take care of us, a lot of our big retail grocery stores around the country. So salute them, thank them for their good work, and direct you to their website, ufcw.org. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to talk uh, border, we're going to talk immigration, we're going to talk um, uh, Kirsten Nielsen and the purge at the DHS. But, um, you know, we also we have to take a quick look at um, some of the political news of the day. So since you're here, guess what? You're now the victims of the, <laughs> All right. uh, the latest on 2020. Um, 
Uh, I was first of all, we have a new candidate in last night. Eric Swalwell, uh-huh. number 18. Uh, he... I think we need a good 20. Right. We let's, need two more. Let's round well, up. Michael Bennett, well, who else? Michael Bennett's going to hop in. Right, right. Uh, and, yeah, who Is there else someone will else? we get? Is there someone else? There, there may be a former vice president. Oh, I forgot, <laughs> oh, I forgot about him. I forgot about right. him. 20, there you go. He's, now he's, 20. He's, he basically announced so many times that in my mind, he's already, it's, yeah, he's already announced. Exactly. Terry McAuliffe. Terry, it's 21. Uh, That's not and a good And there is one more. Um, oh, la, 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 um, Damn. Uh, Steve Bullock from Montana. Oh, is yeah. he still actively considering? I mean, there's yes. a, there's a lane for yeah, someone like Steve told, Bullock. I uh, was told a couple of days ago by someone who's been working with him that he's definitely getting in. Oh. I don't know how long they're going to wait. At any rate, here is Eric Swalwell last night on Stephen Colbert. I see a country in quicksand, unable to solve problems and threats from abroad, unable to make life better for people here at home. Nothing gets done. And none of that is going to change until we get a leader who is willing to go big on the issues we take on, be bold in the solutions we offer, and do good in the way that we govern. I'm ready to solve these problems. I'm running for president of the United States. Did he memorize that script? Yeah. You know, the talk show announcement is awkward. It's awkward. It is a little awkward. It didn't sound like the audience was like really that excited either. Um, too many candidates? No, I I like the fact that there are so many candidates to choose from. I think they will challenge all themselves to do better, both in terms of policy and politics. I like that. I'm concerned about them building the momentum that they might need. And with all the potential infighting and the resources wasted and pretty much they're going to have to make pretty big hauls early on in order to be viable through the end, I think. And how, you know, how much of a pool is there really? I mean, sort of finite. Find out resources here between eighteen people. Well, um, we're going to find out. Yeah, you know what and, I think they'll, is they'll, they'll, they'll drop out. I'm yeah, not, that's what I'm I was going to say. Eager, I think more the merrier in a sense. Uh, I, I think we're going to find out very very quickly who can run a national campaign and who cannot. Right? right, because I think of Scott Walker when he ran for president, and everybody thought he was going to be uh, just a dominating figure, and he was one of the very first Republican candidates to drop out in 2016 because mm-hmm. he just couldn't hack it. Right, and for years we were we had been told this is Scott Walker's race to win, uh, so or I think Jeb Bush, or Jeb Bush, and I think you're going to find out that there are some people who are just going to have to get out very early because they don't have it. Uh, and we've also s- already seen some signs of who has the resources that they need. You know, for sure, Bernie in terms of dollars, Bernie right. eighteen, Kamala made eighteen million in the first quarter. Kamala Harris twelve million. Um, Beto with nine. Pete Buttigieg with seven. He's, Big, he's more than Amy Klobuchar surprising. and more yeah. than Cory Booker. That's the real story, I think, so far of this primary is Mayor Pete's ability to really impress people. But to Peter's point, I think you're underestimating the ego of people who think that they should be president of the United States. I Fair. think we're going to have a lot of people holding on probably long past when they should and sort of dragging, you know, potentially oh. dragging yeah. down when people need the momentum to challenge. Or whoever. ego getting in. I mean, look, Eric Swalwell is a good guy, right? 38 years old, House Intelligence Committee, does a lot of TV, gets a lot of TV. Yeah, I think his ego's gotten a little ahead of his of the reality with him, but... Hey, what the hell? Hey, Free look, country? when I was 38 run. years old and I was on the House Intelligence Committee, <laughs> I thought to myself, maybe I should run for president. And I didn't. 
Okay? You don't have to humble. run for president. Such a humble man. I'm very humble about it. It's a humble public servant. Okay. But there's no one more humble than me, folks. <laughs> but, you know, my, my other point here is if the 2016 election taught us anything, it's that we don't know anything, right? And Absolutely. things we thought were not possible it, it and people we thought were not viable can actually that any succeed. Clown so, can get elected and there's the president. That is yes. the, the only That's the fun Trump part. Effect. Yeah. That is the Trump effect. Right. Yeah. And the only like the only fun part about presidential campaigns yeah. really is that we're going to constantly be uh, constantly be surprised. Fun might not be the right word as you know journalists. Uh, but you mentioned uh, the, the the bounce of that Mayor Pete or the, the moment he is enjoying right now. Uh, he's a very impressive guy. He's been here, you know, in the studio with us, uh, oh, and he's oh. he says I've got I ran a city, you know, I've got as much experience, executive experience as some of these other guys. And he's also become really a kind of a, um, a leader now of the religious left and particularly challenging his fellow Hoosier, Mike Pence, who is the prophet of the religious right, particularly on LGBTQ issues. Were you at the Victory Brunch? I was Sunday? not. I was in Colorado, in Colorado meeting with the students in Middleton. <laughs> as, you, as you mentioned. Yes, to yes, us, yes. Right. So um, I thought Mayor Pete had a great line or a great point made to... Vice President Pence, here he is. I can tell you that if me being gay was a choice, it was a choice that was made far, far above my pay grade. <laughs> and that's the thing I wish the Mike Pences of the world would understand. That if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. <laughs> Isn't that refreshing? That's refreshing. That was a hell of a line. Uh, I love it. Right. It's so refreshing. Yeah. I feel right. refreshed just hearing that. <laughs> I mean, we, we never hear it framed that way, right? No, no, no. He has taken the, you know, sort of the gay rights issue and raised it certainly to another level. Yeah. And right, aimed right at Mike Pence and his so-called evangelicals, right? Yeah. Fellow evangelicals who have are still on a crusade. Against basic gay rights, you know, and and again, Mayor, I, I I just love the fact that. And I was thinking about this. It wasn't that long ago, in political time, when being gay, let alone being married, right, would you wouldn't even consider the possibility that person could run for public office, let alone president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's why I think many of us really believe in this country and really believe in the people, especially us immigrants, and really believe <laughs> in, in what this country, the kind of opportunities it could give to people because we've seen it firsthand personally and, and in the political field. Right. Even if you just compare the field from 2016 uh, and this field as it's shaping up, just comparing the diversity in experience and background, everything. Uh, it's pretty, st that's a stunning, pretty stunning transition. I think a lot of people thought that transition was going to be made earlier <laughs> into yeah. a more diverse field of political candidates, but uh, just the comparison is, is really stunning. So um, polit uh, on this point, Politico Morning Consult has a new poll up today. Steve Shepard, uh, who runs this, was in last week in studio. Um, and it's interesting, as things stand today, and this is in the wake of the Joe Biden little bump here that he's going through, right? The, the, the how they line up at this as of today is Joe Biden, thirty-two, not impacted at all by that by that little scandal. Thirty-two. Bernie Sanders in second place with twenty-three. I'm surprised if Biden's that far ahead of him. Kamala Harris nine. Beto O'Rourke eight. 
Elizabeth Warren, seven, Pete Buttigieg at five, and Cory Booker at four. The rest are What happened to Cory Booker? He's such a dynamic politician, and the campaign he's running is like, has anyone seen it? It's very early, folks. Okay. I know, but... (laughs) So early. Thank you. Walk us off the ledge. (laughs) It's so early. Please. It is. It is. Please. I know. But but we're sort of starting to... I mean, right now, there are some that are in the serious lane, if you will, or category, certainly... Uh, even though he's not in yet, Joe Biden and Bernie and Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. right? Beto O'Rourke, I guess, although people say he's starting to fade a little bit. But but Cory Booker and Amy Klobuchar and Kirsten Gillibrand. By the way, excuse me while I get really... on this table really quickly and make a, <laughs> make a couple of remarks. <laughs> You're qualified to be president. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me while I... I'll clean it off after, though. Don't worry. <laughs> I wouldn't want to leave my footprint. But so um, we'll, see how that sh- we'll see how that shakes down. Now... Uh, is anybody left at the Department of Homeland Security today? You know, there are. I it, it was pretty amazing. Uh, Senator Feinstein sent out sent out a statement, but uh, the just the, the second paragraph of the statement was listing all the top the vacancies and top positions of the Homeland Security Department. Uh, sort of already, there were a lot of vacancies before the surge. You know, you had top people in acting positions, people who had sort of never been nominated. Essentially, well, the head of FEMA was fired in February, right? And then we had the the nominee for, for to lead ICE, ICE and he Ron v- right? was, So Thursday he was withdrawn. Then we have Nielsen's ouster. As soon as McAleenan moves over, although there's some debate about whether or not he can do that based on sort of the law of the line of succession as written for DHS. Then there will be no one in charge of CBP, which is the Technically, the nation's biggest law, federal law enforcement agency, Secret Service. I mean, there's 10 to 12, I think, top positions in Homeland Security that will be vacant or acting. Uh, And if this is if there is the crisis at the border that the administration, you know, has been describing, then is this really the time that you want there to be 10 to 12 vacancies in the Homeland Security Department? It's all because Kirsten Nielsen was not tough enough or Donald Trump blames her for the fact that there are 100,000 people apprehended last month? I think that turn of events surprised a lot of people. But that pattern with between the president and really anyone who's been charged with immigration policy, but particularly Nielsen, that pattern has been repeated over the 16 months of her, her tenure. This is the fourth or fifth time that there were rumors that uh, she was either going to be fired or that she was going to resign because basically he made certain promises that were almost impossible to achieve. You, It's logistically impossible to completely shut the U.S.-Mexico, the 2,000-mile U.S.-Mexico border. And it's pretty much impossible to stop, even if this was your intention, to stop every asylum seeker or Central American family uh, from coming to the United States because they have a legal right to claim asylum uh, once they reach U.S. soil. That's enshrined in U.S. law and their protections in international law. So we made these promises that were impossible to achieve. So someone inevitably has to take the fall uh, when the numbers keep going up and when the border is still open. It's it's sort of a job in which, by the president's own measures, his people are set up to fail. So Nielsen was only the last, was only the most recent, but certainly won't be the, be the last, especially because we expect these numbers to continue to rise through the spring, which is an annual uptick uh, that tends to happen uh, each year anyway. And Igor, she hardly stands alone, right? I mean, when you look at the number of people who have come in to work with or for Donald Trump in the last two years and been booted out. I mean, it's such a long list. Where do we begin? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, cabinet what it, secretaries, cabinet secretaries, chiefs of staff. I gone, mean, you name it. Gone. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to immigration, I mean, there seems to be no doubt, and this was probably true from the very beginning, that that policy is being set not from within the department, but from within the White House. Right. And now with Nielsen gone, Stephen Miller, it feels like, is going to have free reign. Is 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 it? I mean, I I assume he's not leaving the White House to lead that department, and I also assume he would not oh, be confirmed. I was just going to say, do you think he could get confirmed? Given that Stephen Miller is now basically in charge of immigration, I think the president told him that. I've seen reporting. Uh, who's on the short list to replace Nielsen? Who's just, a, I guess, is going to be a puppet of Stephen Miller? I mean, if there's really, but there have been a few names out there. I think it's pretty clear that McLean and the CB, well, who is the CBP commissioner until, oh, I don't know, tom- <laughs> tomorrow, and then he'll go into the acting capacity of the head of Homeland Security. He really wants the job. Um, but he is not the fight. What was interesting about his being named is he's not the sort of firebrand immigration hardliner that the president says he wants. Right. He described pulling Vidi- Vidiello, the uh, ICE, uh, the nominee for, to lead ICE, described pulling his uh, nomination, which surprised a lot of people because he wanted to go in a tougher direction. And then right. Nielsen is right. seen in this narrative as well. McAleenan is not necessarily that. I mean, he has kept to the president's line, but he's not the sort of public defender that even Nielsen was of some of these more draconian policies, which, as we understand, are orchestrated to a large degree behind the scenes by Stephen Miller. Uh, so McAleenan's not that. He's a career guy. He was a lawyer. He sort of tried to sign up for the FBI after 9-11 and then was recruited into CBP instead. He served under Obama. It's not him. So there have been a few other names that have been thrown around. I think pretty much whenever there's a vacancy in immigration, someone mentions Chris Kobach. Oh, and that's he's right. Gonna, and he's going to come back. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to come, right. you know, and he's going to come back. And he supposedly still has the president's ear as well. And Steve Bannon as well on talking about some of uh, where the directions that they could go. But the reality is they're limited by both Congress and the courts in terms of how much tougher, quote unquote, tougher they can get. I mean, I think a lot of this is rhetoric for the election and not reality for the election, for their base, because there's only so much they can actually do. All of these deterrence strategies that they've adopted for the past two years and sort of doubled down on. Uh, if these are orchestrated by Stephen Miller, it's pretty stunning the degree to which they failed by their own measures, by the president and Stephen Miller's own measures. But that failure does not fall at Stephen Miller's feet. He's it's got, always someone else. In a sense, he has, if you think about it, Donald Trump has one issue. I mean, he ran on the wall in 2016, the border and the wall. He ran on the board. He, not necessarily all Republicans, but he certainly did in 2018, even though he wasn't on the ballot. Remember, he went out there, and this is all he talked about, and a lot of Republicans were saying, hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about jobs. Send the, the military to the border because of and the And he's going to run on invasion. 2020. That's, that, I mean, well, that's I mean, it his, worked in 2016 to some degree, It worked right? in 2016. Look where he is. Look where right? he is. Not so much in 2018. Look where we are. But this was so interesting <laughs> right. to me is because he has to keep, they have to keep up this language of emergency and crisis. And it should be noted that, you know, they. I think it's about 103,000 in March, they believe, of apprehensions, which would be one of the highest numbers for a month. In a, in a decade, I believe, yeah. in more than a decade. That's a high number. That's not to be denied. But they have to keep immigration and this language of crisis front and center because they think this is the issue they win on in 2020. But as long as they do that, they're also pointing out the fact that their policies Aren't haven't worked to right. give their right. base what they promised, which was to stop or curb or reduce immigration. All right. Now, Igor made the point, which I think is true, that so what we've read, heard it's been reported that Don Trump has told Stephen Miller, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Miller has said, well, the first thing I got to do is I got a clean house at Department of Homeland Security. So it is being run in the White House, inside the White House by Steve Miller. 
There's also, there are people outside the White House who are maybe dictating what the policy is. Um, and if we talk about Fox News, we're going to play a little clip here. This is, um, so Lou Dobbs on the 28th of March has a guest on talking about the role of the secretary. And it uh, sounds to me like Lou Dobbs is giving the president his marching orders. So I, I, I agree, Lou, but, but the men and women of Border Patrol, they, they do have to take their orders from the secretary. So they do have to get authorization to do what they want to do. And they know then the what president to do. needs to fire because she is nothing but a roadblock on creativity, innovation, adaptiveness <laughs> and responding to the situation we have instead of the one that she apparently uh, wants to dream about. Bingo. There you go. We know who was watching. You know, it is interesting, though, because there's a strange coming together on this. There were a lot of Democrats on the Hill in particular who called for Nielsen's resignation as well. Well, because yeah, because she was the person who carried out the zero tolerance policy. So but from very different, you know, ends of and the political spectrum, different. you know, Nielsen yeah. was embattled on all sides. She was embattled from her own you know, uh, commander in chief, uh, as as well as Democrats on the Hill who believe she was, you know, really responsible for some of the the worst, uh, most draconian immigration policies and potentially that she was untruthful in testimony to Congress, particularly about uh, the family separation issue. And then just on this past weekend, the government filed basically their plan for what they do next in the family separation uh, case, the, the primary case, uh, because they since discovered that there are potentially thousands more families that were separated. And the government said that it would potentially take them two years, two years to track down. They have to go through 47,000 cases of unaccompanied wow. children to figure out whether or not How they many? were separated. I believe, I believe I saw the number that they have to go through 47,000 cases of unaccompanied children to determine which ones may have been separated because they weren't tracking it at the time. Wow. Now, while all this was happening wow. yesterday, a federal judge right. ruled that the policy that they are trying to enforce mm -hmm. of telling people who are seeking asylum, you got to stay in Mexico till we figure it out. A federal judge ruled yesterday unconstitutional. Right. And actually, they. So they're. This was one of Nielsen's. losing in the right. courts as long as there's still judges that are not Mitch McConnell plant, yeah. planted judges, right? This was one of Nielsen's uh, initiated, like one of her signature initiatives, Nielsen's. And she touted as this historic sweeping change to U.S. asylum policy, which it is. I mean, it is a very big change to U.S. asylum policy. and But they really had a lot of trouble sort of spinning it up. The Mexicans said, this is unilateral. We don't agree with this. They weren't stopping people from being returned to Mexico. But actually, in the last couple of weeks, they'd ramped it up a lot. So it was almost a thousand Central American asylum seekers that were returned to Mexico to wait um, for their cases. But that was one of the directions in which the Stephen Millers of the world were likely planning to go when it talks about when they talked about getting tougher and Trump saying, we're full, no more asylum seekers, they were probably planning on going there. And now they have a few days to try and appeal uh, mm. that ruling. But that was a big blow, particularly amid this purge of, to get tougher yesterday. They can't go there anymore. In, in terms of the human aspect of this, you mentioned the spike in March. Do we know where that's coming from? Are, are, are conditions worsening in the Central American nations or is it seasonal? Is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both. Um, I mean, clearly... Cutting aid to Central America, no one on any side of the aisle, really any side of the spec political spectrum, thinks that that's a good idea. There are very clear push factors in Central America. You've got homicide rates that are some of the highest in the world outside our war zone. That's still true, even though there have been improvements in El Salvador. 
Guatemala, Honduras, uh, high levels of poverty, climate change uh, yes. is really destroying the agricultural base in some of these areas, particularly the highlands of Guatemala, for example. Uh, you also have endemic government corruption. Uh, there's For that violence, uh, there are state mm-hmm. actors that are often involved. There is total impunity for those uh, for those crimes. All of those factors, push factors, cutting aid to Central America, not going to help. There is also so, the spring uptick tends to respond to the U.S. agricultural demand mm-hmm. in the spring. That's been the case. But there's also, to some extent, the Homeland Security mm-hmm. Inspector General itself said that the Trump administration policies are incentivizing people to cross between ports of entry who would then be categorized in this yeah. uh, in this particular mm-hmm. category that would indicate that there are higher levels of illegal immigration Though they can't come to the port of entry, which would be legal immigration. All right. This day, April 9, is a very big day because <laughs> it's a publication date of Igor Volsky's new book. Very important. Uh, Guns Down. Igor, you got a minute left here. What's your best pitch? Guns Down, a new bold approach towards reducing gun deaths. And it hinges on this idea of guns are the problem. We need to build a future with fewer guns. We need to ask for what we need from our politicians, from ourselves, which is make guns harder to get, raise the standard of gun ownership. And enough of this. Down. You got that pitch down. You got it really. down. That was impressive. Enough of these little the little mini steps, right? Got, got to go the whole way. Americans right. support these bold reforms. The politicians have to meet us where we are. And it's all laid out here in the book, Guns Down, wherever you uh, find your books, at your local independent bookstore or online. Um, buy it today. That's an order. Uh, <laughs> Igor, congratulations. Thank you, Thank so you much, for Bill. all the good work Thank you're doing you. on Thank this you. issue. Thanks for coming in. And Molly O'Toole, great to see you. Great uh, to see uh, you. us up to date on all the problems at the border. Uh, Tuesday, that's it for us. The rest of the day is yours. Make the most of it. And then come back and see us again tomorrow. You know we'll be looking for you. This is The Bill Press Show.